Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Destroy Before Listening. This is part one of a conversation between myself, Pete Byrne, and Graham Thompson. Graham plays bass and vocals currently in the noisy hardcore band Ball Peen. He also drums in the group Ozo with Mike Vest, which is more psychedelic and jam orientated. But he started out playing guitar with the band Jin in the earlier 2000s. He can play guitar, bass and drums equally well and has done in a ton of bands over the past 20 years. We discussed probably a universal theme for kids in the 90s getting into music and the punk and hardcore scene. From the early gigs and exposure to the underground to finding the music and collecting records, how you choose an instrument to play, finding people to be in a band with, playing live and the types of venues, etc. Please rate, review, subscribe and share this, that would be great. Or follow on Instagram at destroybeforelistening. There will also be various links in the show notes. Thanks. Right then, uh, Graham Thompson, if you want to int- just do a quick introduction of anything relevant, that, that, well, anything that you think is relevant to you know, why we're friends or why you're doing this or how anything. I've been in bands in and around Newcastle since about 98, something like that. So me and you've crossed paths, crossed paths sort of quite a few times over the years. I think I saw Orin the Forest and that was the first time we were ever in the same room together that I'm aware of. And then uh, I've been in, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of bands. Um, I guess the first one that people might remember is a band called Gin that was already going for a few years and then I joined them in about 2006. But being in loads and loads of bands, I'm currently in a band called Ball Peen um, and me and Adam, the drummer, have been in bands since 1998. He was in my very first proper band. We were in a band, well, we we sort of were going to a lot of the same gigs and I would see you around and what have you. And then we were in a band, was it about? Two, 2010 was. Right. You, you, would, you played drums about like six months or probably... Longer, I don't know how long did you play drums. It was about a, I'd say like about a year, a year and a half. Yeah, maybe, maybe more. Maybe it was. It was, yeah, it was I, it was I couldn't remember. Between like a year and two years, roughly. I couldn't maybe. remember. It was definitely a, like a year at least. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, so yeah. So we did that band, and that was in now. Well, I'm Pete Byrne, and I was in Orange Forest from about '98. I was in bands from '97, and then Orange Forest was '98 to 2000, and then. Uh, Marzaran, which was start about 2002, and then did RYN as well, which was 2003 to 2011, and then now doing this, and that's that. Well, I was going to ask, ask you about like instruments, really, because you play everything. You, know, <laughs> you play guitar, bass, drums, and sing. You did a, a, re- a, like a release, a whole album that's you, that you yeah. did yourself that you like i don't know how the how the fuck someone did that when i knew well when you knew, i knew that you did it i was just like how, how does anyone do that how does someone do that it was it was something i'd wanted i'd always wanted to do i'd wanted to do it for years and years and years since i was quite young and then i'd i I started i mean i released it last summer i finally give myself the kick in the ass last summer to do it and last summer being the first lockdown that we yeah. were in in this country and what have you so i'd had these songs and i've, I've i'd had I'd, i tried mixing them years ago because i recorded it years ago like about it's like 2017 or something or was, yeah oh. i don't know you did the drums or something maybe or something like 15 that. 
2015. Yeah, 15. I think it was a good while ago, maybe even earlier. I can't remember now. Um, I did, did it ages ago, and then it was on my old, like an old cheap PC with Cubase on, and it was I, that PC is pretty much dead now. And the music just stayed on that PC, and I tried mixing it years ago and was never happy with it. And then I'd started a few years ago doing, kind of getting more into recording and buying some reasonable gear and, and what have you and, and, and started up my upping my chops a little bit in terms of mixing and what have you and so it was always an albatross around my neck that I had this album's worth of material and and I'd never got around to finishing it and it killed us so I, I kind of just took lockdown last year as the opportunity to work out how to get it off my old PC because Cubase would crash every time I opened it but I finally worked out that and then bounced. oh did you have to find new leads and new uh sort of creative ways of like passing one no no it was it was a software thing it was a it was a really simple thing in the end as well i basically had to turn the pc on leave it for a while so that it had like warmed up and it stopped trying to (laughs) do updates and whatever else it was trying to do yeah open cubase and i I remember there's like a sort of i can't remember what the setting is exactly but i i know it's that you know when you're mixing and recording you i can't remember if it's like the latency or, or whatever it is or the whatever I can't remember, but you, you mm-hmm. want a different setting for recording and mixing. And if you're trying to mix down and with it, it, this particular setting, it just doesn't like it. So I went into Cubase and because I work because I use Logic now on a Mac and, and know that I went back into Cubase and, and before it crashed, I quickly got into the menu and, and changed this setting and it worked. So I was because every any time I would try and bounce anything down, it would just die instantly. So I thought I'd basically lost all that stuff. I even went into the file and found all the individual WAV files, but it was one folder filled with every WAV file of all 12 or 13 songs, all like all labeled bass drum, bass drum one, bass drum one A. Handy. Bass drum t- like. That's a tip for anyone is like always to uh, name your stuff. Yeah. Just- I, I managed to get the files and I mixed it and I thought I was never 100% happy with it, but I just thought, I remember I was I was in the middle of mixing it and I was nearly done. Or at least, I mean, I don't think if you if you're doing something like that, you're ever nearly done. But but there was like one of those Bandcamp Fridays coming up in about two days where it was free, and I just thought, right, that's your deadline. Got to do it. Finish yeah. your mixing and put it up for free and see what happens. So so yeah, so I did that. I released that last year, and it, I guess to, sort of a, a long way around answering your question is the instrument thing. Oh, this um, is C ninety anyway. The band, yeah, C, yeah, C ninety. Um, I yeah. mean, I've, I'm actually in the middle of recording another thing now, but it, 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 it's like six or seven songs. I, I, I don't know if I've got the energy to do a full album. No, it takes forever, but it, it's oh. really good fun. But sort of answering your question, the instrument thing is, I, I was really lucky that I grew up in a house where there was a lot of music around. So my mum and dad had like a reasonable record and cassette collection, and they were always listening to music. And then I've got a brother who's 10 years older uh, and he, you know, he was listening to a lot of music too. So there was always around music um, and it was always rock stuff. Like I suppose from my dad, I was getting, my mum and dad, I was getting Cream, Zeppelin, Sabbath, uh, that kind of stuff. And then from my brother, somewhere between my dad and my brother, I got Nirvana and then my brother was more like indie. So I got into like Charlatans and Stone Roses and stuff like that, which I, I still quite like those two bands to this day. But um. So I just had this interest in music, and I can't remember exactly how it started, but I, I don't know if I asked for a guitar, or I, I got a guitar when I was about 10, and it was one of those three-quarter-size nylon-strung guitars. Oh, yeah. That's where I started on as well. I had as well. Yeah. I, I think it was the, one oh, of those gosh. things where, like, you, you want you want an electric guitar, but I guess you, like, you want to see if you can actually 
you were actually bothered. And for about a year or so, I guess I wasn't really bothered. I didn't pay much attention to it. And then I said, I wanted an electric guitar and an amplifier. And my dad sort of said, well, you can't have one. Like, you need to basically show that you're going to show some interest. So, like, go away and, like, learn some chords and, and, and what have you. Um, and, you know, you know, if you show some interest, then I'll think about it. And he brought home this, like, photocopy chord sheet. And I went upstairs and came back down about an hour later and I'd learned three or four chords. Like, just like that. So he was like, oh, yeah. right, okay, you are interested. So then I got an electric guitar, uh, a Hondo SG copy, which I've still got. What the fucking hell's a Hondo? Hondo, yeah. Some sort of, where is it? Is it Never heard of a Hondo. Is, it's not Japanese. I can't it. remember where they're made now. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, like cheap, but reasonably, you know, reasonable quality, cheap SG knockoff with half decent pickups oh. and half decent machine heads and stuff. Um, I've still got it, it's, but it's covered in stickers and a bit bad and stuff, but I'm glad. Oh, so it's an it. SG copy. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a little Marshall and I, I like I, I guess I just I took to it a lot more getting the electric and I was just learning covers and I, I never had any interest in writing original stuff for a long time I was just learning like I guess at that age I was learning Nirvana Green Day stuff like that which was pretty good stuff to learn I suppose um, mm-hmm. easy like fairly easy stuff and and that kind of thing and, and just bashing away on chords and what have you and so I, I played guitar from probably about 11 or 12 electric guitar and then kind of continued on with that and you know started getting interested in effects pedals and distortion and all this stuff and then at some point in high school i don't know oh well my dad's a drummer i forgot to mention that so my dad i was was, gonna say yeah your dad's a drummer yeah and this is in gosforth as well isn't it yeah yeah so i grew up in in in, um from the age of eight lived in gosforth and grew up around the seven or eight um, so my dad was a drummer in the 70s and what have you in, in sort of seven, like 70s rock bands and stuff and so there was I remember just being in middle school and there was me and two mates wanted to like play a song and they, one was going to play guitar one was going to play bass and I, I don't know I, I just presumed I could play drums I don't know what it was and like that's it, all you need well, I, I, it, like I'm, I'm lucky that it turns out I did have a, like a fairly natural aptitude for it, and I kind of took to it quite quickly. I, 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 I don't know if I just knew, or and I don't want to sound cocky or arrogant. I, I just kind of took to it, you know what I mean? So I started playing drums on and off, just just in like sort of music rooms at school, and and what have you? Never in bands or out. And then the bass kind of came later, I guess. I also oh, I, I, I was doing covers bands at school, and I, I would do vocals in those, which wasn't always great. But I guess I just again, I just decided I could probably do it and had a go at it. So yeah. And then bass just was a natural extension of playing guitar. Really, I remember I, the reason I bought a bass is because I started music college in about two thousand and one or something like that, and to do you know home recordings and to do songs for assignments and and just because I was starting to get an interest in writing my own stuff and do my own recordings. I bought a bass so that I could have a bass to record, basically, and took it from there. So, so that was a stupidly long response to kind of <laughs> to your well, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then I've kind of flip-flopped between all of them over the years in different bands, playing one or the other, and, um, it, you know, it, it depend on which band I was in and that kind of thing. But I, I enjoy playing them all to different degrees. Um, you know, I'm kind of lucky in that regard, I suppose. And then you decided to do a full Well, recording. yeah, I guess after I realised I could play the drums a bit when I was young, I had that aspiration. And I'll, I'll be honest, it was the first Foo Fighters album, the, 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 you know, because it would have been like around the time that that came out that I got into it. That was like, oh, he played everything on that record. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. And that was, where, that was where the interest came from. But obviously it didn't happen for another, I don't know, 
15 wow. years 20 years or something or whatever it was i, yeah. I don't know but but yeah. i always i always had an interest in doing it and, and and kind of thought that i could do it i mean i did i did really like basic sort of daft recordings when i was in music college where i would play everything like doing the drums i, I did a I did a thing that was almost like sort of daft grindcore where i just my, i lived with a lad who had a drum kit set up in his bedroom and i recorded like 21 really short like almost like east west blast test kind of short drum beat like for like 20 30 seconds yeah recorded the drums and then wrote music to all of those in a day i did the entire thing in 24 hours and just like wrote daft riffs and bass lines and all no vocals and just just stuff like that and then i guess kind of took it a bit more seriously later on doing proper songs and what have you so but i i, I really enjoy it it's it is hard it's hard work and it's 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 taxing but um it, i think the reward is pretty great at the end i, I really in, sort of enjoy the challenge to be honest with you cool so anyway you <sighs> Right. Where, where, I've waffled a lot there. Where, guitar. Well, no, it was... Drums, uh, actually. It was, was it drums first? No, no. Um, well, it was like the, the sh- shitty, like you say, the uh, nylon-strung Argos guitar. Yeah. And then I think I learned to play like some Pixies songs or something like that because they were... Like I was big into Pixies when I was like, I don't know, 11 or something. Like I was quite, I don't know, 11 or 12. Yeah, but then I'd I was also it was I wanted a bass really, and I got a bass for my thirteenth birthday, and that was because I just like loved uh, like No Means No and like Big Black were my fit just favorite things. I wanted that like I loved the bass sound of both, and like I wanted to uh, emulate that really. Yeah, that's and then. About a year later, I thought, like, oh, I'll just try guitar because uh, I don't know, it couldn't, be much, it couldn't be much different than a bass, I thought. And then you'd learn a power chord, and you know, it's like the, the local groups, uh, like Leatherface and China Drum. It was the Gordon Smith guitar, so it was yeah. my, my 14th or 15th birthday or something like that. and. I got electric guitar and then just did that and then you know that I, I kind of stopped that play I played that through uh I don't know just just bands just dicking around just just you know like when you do when you're learning you're thinking oh, I'll do a band and then but no one's ever no one's good enough as no one's really a good enough guitarist or bass player or drummer or anything when you're like 15. Yeah did and, you ever play bass in a band? Uh yeah, uh, Tyrone with Rob was playing drums. Oh, this is about yeah. two lobster. Yeah, he was playing guitar, and this is in about two thousand. And I, I don't think I can't remember if we played many gigs. Uh, you definitely played one at the Dog and Parrot where you're all wearing Hawaiian shirts because I was at that. Well, that would be Lobster's influence. He would have told us me, me and Rob. I remember him, me and Rob were basically like his his kind of people who, who he was leading the band kind of thing and he would have said right everyone's wearing hawaiian shirts and uh he was basically like you're only listening to corrupted and uh celtic frost and sleep and like that that's it that's the influences <laughs> we we had this 15 minute long song and i was i was uh doing vocals and playing bass lobster was playing guitar uh he did some vocals and uh rob was playing drums you did vocals in that band yeah 
I don't remember that. A bit. I, see, that's before that's before I'd ever spoken to you. So that that's probably <laughs> like that's that after seeing Orange the Forest in ninety seven, that's probably the second time I ever saw you in a band, I'd imagine. And I remember that gig. I don't remember who else you played with. I remember that gig. Uh, well, but... there was, there was uh, oh shit, it was it was Vories and uh, oh I don't know. We might have played another one. I, I cannot remember. It just it didn't happen because I think Johnny was going to uh, oh fucking like Japan or something. Oh, he was living in Japan for like a few months. Yeah. Uh, with it, with his his girlfriend who was his then became his wife mm. uh, before she'd come over. Uh, so I think that's why it must have just stopped or not happened anymore. And right. I, I can't really remember much about it other than we practiced. We did it. It was about six months we were doing it. I remember that much because we had to learn a, this this really long song because he was obsessed with like long songs. Nothing like that. Nothing was. Everything had to be like over ten minutes, fifteen minutes, <laughs> and they were complicated as well. They were quite complicated, you know. Wasn't it called like? Marijuana tarantula or something yeah, no, like that. No, yeah, there was super marijuana spider. <laughs> that was the thing. That was just because there was um oh fuck. It was these lyrics written because I was uh it was like uh, <laughs> when I was young, it was like I'd done a, I did a bong hit and there was a spider on my lampshade in my room and I just blew like the smoke onto it and then just sort of imagined, you know fucking sleep by someone you know write lyrics about it <laughs> about the spider going into the cosmos or something and then, <laughs> you know on a trip i don't know it's yeah, yeah fucking yeah. stupid yeah. but that was that was <laughs> spinning a slow web or some yeah such and that, that's that's how the uh guitar thing came around again i think it was doing the heavy stuff and it was just like oh we've been doing this fast stuff oh and now we'll just do really slow things right. it's just and interesting then, that you went from I don't think I've ever heard of anyone starting on guitar, like getting a getting a guitar and then choosing to move to bass. Not that that's like a wrong move. It's just interesting that you chose to do that. Oh, it was guitar. Then I was like, oh, guitar's all right. And then, but just bass sounded better because of the bands that I liked. Yeah. I was like, oh, this yeah, bass sounds sense. really, you know, like Rob Wright. Or oh, uh, it was just, and it was just more, it just, it was more powerful. It just sounded more like. Yeah the thing that I wanted to do is like, cause it was, it was just the rhythmic side of things. And obviously that came into how, how easy it was to sort of just say, Oh, I will play drums or I'll play drums or cause I think everything in the circle we're in, where everyone could kind of have a go at everything, anything really. And it was just like whoever was around at the time and whatever they could play. Yeah. And could, can we do some music? Could we do a band or, you know, so that's yeah. how it kind of, it was a few different things. So the Gordon Smiths, because you had more than yeah. one Gordon Smith, didn't you? Uh, at some point. Two. Yeah. Well, two, uh, it was always, I never had more than like two, but it was the initial one. And then I got one when we did Marzoran and there was one in between, but I sold that and right. then got the kind of double cutaway. It's a shape you don't really see. It's more of a like, a, I don't know, it's, a, it's the JS2. Right. So... Early bands, Gordon Smiths. So where was this right. that you were, where was it? I mean, I said I sort of grew up in Gosforth and that's where I went to school and that's where I sort yeah. of, I did my first few bands and stuff. You were in Wickham, is that right? Wickham, right, till, was in my like early 20s. And Wickham, yeah, it was just like a, I don't know, it's a village on a hill. It was about like 10 minutes 
away from the metro center and then it wasn't it it was only like 15 minutes 20 minutes on to town on a bus to Newcastle it, city center yep it yeah. was only like 20 pence or something you know it was like 13 40 it was like cheap it didn't cost much to go to town oh, i was probably a bit more i don't know who knows uh, no, I think you're right. I think I remember it being 15 and then rising <laughs> up to 20. <laughs> if you're a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, you could go anywhere you wanted. It was. Yeah, so like my parents were just like, they, they weren't really bothered, you know. I don't think they just. I was kind of going to Newcastle and, well, Metro Centre first and then Newcastle from pretty young. So well, when I grew up, the influences mainly was like, the, it was from skateboarding and I was like riding BMX and then skateboarding and then it was like the skateboard videos and then you kind of pool your resources to what music there was. So that's so ended up hearing, you know, like death metal and like indie and like punk stuff and hardcore and just and all the stuff that's still with us, you know, it was just, it, it, there was things in rotation, like people had tapes and just pass them around or the older brother or someone like that or well you know. th- we need to give a, i think a very brief shout out to a man who i was in several bands with and that's mr peter falcus is it not oh yeah yeah he 100%. was part of that formula was he not and uh ian sidaway as well who p falcus was in a band with as well because yes yeah. well there's there's a whole group of people thinking back to from who went to that school uh wickham well it was like wickham it had just turn from like being a or rebranded from being a comprehensive school to a, to just a school they dropped the comp bit because it was like you know look it was like getting a bad rep or something what was the stigma school. about the comprehensive label i don't know it was just like just basically seen as like a school that would accept anyone from any area and right it's just like you'd mix with kids from you know I, I i did go to school with a lot of just fucking Scum, Robins. like scummers, basically like Chavers. Yeah, it was like pig Chava when I went into school. Uh, that school when I was eleven, nineteen ninety one. It was just full of just people who wanted to fight, people who just take things, uh, other people's things, and then cigarettes, coats, right, whatever it was. There was just like a you either had to kind of dis- disappear or or you couldn't really stand out. You just have to kind of be one of the these people who's fighting and meld into being, the background being, a being bit. bad or you just disappear yeah so yeah you kind of find that there's this like a sub culture or like underground of kids who are just not into doing that but didn't want to get like beaten up or whatever for being you know a, a metaler or something or like i was yeah. just silly but yeah so there was well that that's cool my age like Ian Sidaway was like my best friend and uh, Falkus was about two years ahead and uh, Lee Stoko, who was doing Culver, I think he started doing that pretty young and then we would do Mars Run together but I didn't know him at school, it was only afterwards and the same with Mike Vest as well because he was in my brother's year but I didn't know him when I was at school. So in amongst those names there, you've got a lot, a lot of local bands over the last... 15 or 20 years haven't you really like lots and lots of bands there's a lot of people came from that area at that time who were born around a kind of late 70s early 80s who did stuff and even if a few years because i mean like p falcus's brother uh did 
McCluskey and Future mm-hmm. of the Left. Yeah. And probably about similar age would be, uh, you know, like Fracture magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy uh, Russell, who oh, he, yeah. he, he charred remains as well. He did Russell his remains, yeah, 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 yeah. He's from Wickham as well, so there's like I don't know, there was something about the place, really. I guess I don't know what it was, just a bunch of kids who went to that school at a certain time. Who it's quite a lot of people for one school to go on and do. A yeah, it's kind of funny that of like different bands and but with sort of varying levels of. of success and what have you as well and you know they were all well known at least in the local oh, area to each other everyone knew what everyone's everyone was doing i mean it was only like after the fact after leaving that school and kind of moving out of the area and stuff that yeah it's like oh fuck yeah you went to school with you <laughs> yeah it's just strange yeah but but that there was also like uh like gateshead library like uh you kind of borrowing you pay whatever, like, to rent a CD. Or they even had, initially, they, they had vinyl records there as well you could uh, oh, take right, out. Okay. Yeah, which is how how old it is. And then they just kind of ushered in the CDs, and then it was all, everything was CD. So... Because it was the same at the library near me. I don't remember there being vinyl. Although I'm not going to say definitely that there wasn't, but that was... There would have been, probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. Uh, that was how I... Pre-internet, because this is pre-internet. That's that's how I Very got a note yeah. that, you know, a good amount of music it was either through friends or through beavers and butthead or just seeing stuff in the library and just taking a punt on it paying a quid and taking it home for a week and taping it yeah it was great totally i mean that was uh it was like sonic youth daydream nation i heard uh, pretty early on and that would just completely opened up the doors to guitars and guitar music and the post-punk stuff as well which was like public image and uh, Kill and Joke was like the first public image uh, album and uh, Nighttime by Kill and Joke. Just fucking loved that stuff, still do. Yeah. Also, like Dead Kennedys is another band that was just massive. Was that a library you know, one? No, just it was just one of those, like, you're in it, you see the logo, it was like the Black Flag bars. Yeah. I like Black Flag, but Dead Kennedys was just the, the, the thing, you know. Well, for fresh, me, fresh fruit for rotten vegetables totally. was one of the um, was one of the library purchases oh, for me. That amazing. was the yeah, like the, the, that was probably the best of a an av- Well, actually, no, there was Times of Grace by Neurosis as well. Yeah, and the only two, the only other two I can remember was the Kiss This, the compilation, the Sex Pistols compilation. I think that's what it was called. And ACDC Live at Donington, but okay, like yeah. I'd forgot. Actually, I'd forgotten about. Um, Whatever the fuck we just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, yeah, not Dead Kennedys. No, Dead Kennedys, the, that was it. Yeah, yeah I'd forgotten about the, that being from Someone that. had a tape. Uh, it was in Golby Trust. And when I heard that, I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. This is just like next level speed <laughs> and just lyrics and everything. It was just so fast and like total hardcore, you know, compared to Fresh Fruit. Yeah. And... They said yeah. they were. They openly said that they were going for the like the DC sound, didn't they? Oh, it's total. Yeah, you can tell they had bad brains or whatever, and just yeah. thought, minor threat or whatever, yeah. and just like fast. Yeah, well, just they it. just proved how fast they could be, really. By I don't know if that people if that's rated underrated or not. I think that end of things, alternative tentacles, and I mean, we're going on from the 
switching tapes around and like taping things from the radio as well because like John Peel was uh, massive. Well, there was a few radio shows around at the time. Uh, there was even uh, I'm trying to think there was like Mark Radcliffe had a show on like Radio Five, and he used to get like live bands playing live in session. Right, and I'm sure he had Leatherface on there and oh, right, just okay. stuff like that. And you hear or John Peel was always like. Uh, I remember hearing he did like a Japanese hardcore. He just played about 10 minutes of like Japanese hardcore, just like loads of bands. And it was just like, you know, different completely. And then it was like hunt out anything that was John Peel and the, the sessions for all the, the classic yeah. sort of Napalm, Death, Carcass, you know, all that gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that, was, that was an influence the big time as well, that hearing that was the... UK side of things. It's like, oh fuck, people in this country do it as well, and that was cool. Uh, and the then kind of buying records, it was just buying things and like trading them in. It was because things were really cheap, cheap as well. They'd be in the bargain bins, uh, in the sort of chain outlets, or, or anyway, you just like look in the independent shops or the secondhand shops, and or there was like. Newcastle, I mean, around the early 90s, 92, 93, was probably about like 10, 15 record shops. There was just so many. I was going to say, let's dig into the record thing a little bit because, okay. well, I know that you've kind of parted ways with a bunch of stuff in, in recent years, but you've always had yeah. a really healthy record collection in the time I've known you, um, you know, enviable to some degree. Okay. And you've thinned it out a little bit, but you've still got a really great collection. And I've got a, an okay collection and I think we both although I, I didn't always buy vinyl I bought CDs for a lot of years I think we've always been quite interested in like record shopping and I don't know about you but the record fairs did you used to yeah that was more for like the uh the bootleg tape like the live recordings of stuff yeah uh there was always like some guy with a suitcase with loads of knockoff kind of like shady tapes that squeak like I remember I had one it was a big black bootleg and it just the tape squeaked I know exactly who you're talking about and it's, it's it, was two, it was two guys the guy you're probably talking about he was quite <laughs> rotund with like long dark hair oh, probably I don't and know. like they, they always had like just photocopied VHS and photocopied cassettes yeah. with the same typeface on all of them in fact I've just sold a bunch of records for my brother um vinyl and cassettes and one of the cassettes I, I, well, a couple of the cassettes I sold from were, were Simple Minds bootlegs that he bought at record oh, fairs God. when he was young from like the I don't know when like sometime in the 80s I swear it's the same guy because it's the same photocopied sleeves the same terrible typeface on the inside oh, they, they just look shit you just look like I don't know how the guy or where the guy got the artwork from but it was awful yeah yeah and then I did go to those fairs but it was just a, a bit Kind of like you had to pay a quid or whatever, quid fifty or something to get in. It was just like, nah, fuck that. I'll go and buy a, I'll save that money. I'll roll it over because it used to be, uh, oh, I don't know. You just use your pocket money, which was like, you know, yeah, a couple of quid or something. And I had a paper round from when I was about twelve, so that was like, I think that was about five or seven pound a week. Yeah. So if there was a record fair coming up, I'd have like. You know, seven, ten quid or whatever it was, and I'd I'd go yeah. in. I I didn't mind paying in, like I was fine with that. But I I was I was a bit of a nerd about it. I would always go down early, and queue for like fifteen minutes before the doors, and and 
I even then I had that that same thing that I've still got a bit of now is that is that kind of I don't want to miss out. I want to be I want to make sure I'm in there early and make sure that nobody buys the cool shit that I'm looking for, whatever that might have been at the time, even though I was going in with like ten pounds. I wasn't never gonna buy much, but yeah. A lot of it was because as much as I love discogs and I'm on discogs every day and what yeah. have you, like the it's definitely taken the romance out of going oh, to cool. a record fair and just coming across something like a a seven inch or a single or a promo or something or, a, or whatever that by a band that you knew that you, that you liked that you didn't even know existed like that's gone now completely. Yeah, we used to be that was like going out of the area. It's like you'd have to go to wherever I went. Being different record shops, different towns, wherever it just be like, where's a record shop? Where's a record shop? Mm. It kind of got a bit obsessive, and then I don't know when. So eBay was taken off early two thousands, and U.S. currency was worth like half. It's worth nothing really, yeah, compared to what it is now. And there was no postage rates were that was not not a, something you would consider and import it everything was different so it was like a golden it was cheaper to buy from the us and it was from the uk depending on what you were buying it was absolutely ridiculous yeah. at the time it was incredible like late yeah. 90s early 2000s yeah even probably into like the mid 2000s it was absolutely well, think, unreal yeah i think it was like a golden era and there was a load of people dumping their collections who were getting to a, a certain point that you know people do and they'll just got to like offload mm-hmm. the records and the money or whatever so this it, and it was more fun seeing the stuff the people were selling you know you kind of like see what else someone was selling yeah so you get a couple of lps and whatever it was and totally just, just total scores i mean like it's unthinkable now anyway yeah what with discogs it, 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 the fact that you've gone a phone within like a minute you could buy anything you want if you've got the money yeah you could probably buy you know you, but that was just no fun and then when that happened uh more so, it was like I just became less and less interested in yeah the, the, all the of f- any of it. Yeah, the fun and the romance has definitely disappeared a little bit. I mean, charity shop shopping is kind of pointless these days That's as well. Because I've had some like, I mean, how many years of you? You'll have done the same thing where you troll through records in charity shops. For all the years you spend trolling through them, I've had two or three really big scores where it made everything worthwhile. I had some really yeah. really like incredible scores that, that, that just made my day so it, i used to really enjoy that but everybody's wise to it now I, either there's just nothing in the charity shops because people are selling it privately or yeah. the shops like oxfam and stuff they like discogs the thing about discogs is is it's created a price parity across the world like yeah there is yeah. no you, there's no bargains to be had anymore and well i i was gonna say parity there's still people who try and sell stuff for way more than it's worth but it's the bargain side of things that the bargains are becoming few and far between. Yeah, fucking, especially now it's kind of like, it's pretty much exclusively anything that's happening in the UK. And even then it's expensive to get, you know, with postage and all that, uh, charges. It's just too much. Everything's just prohibitive yeah. to in the, yeah, record collecting, you know. It does not really, totally. doesn't really work the same. So it was more, so for you... It was more about the record shops and less about the record fairs. And, and did that mean... As the record shops, yeah. Yeah, did that mean coming into Newcastle all the time? or? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Uh, like once a week, always. Uh, Saturday, getting to town at like half past 10 or 10 o'clock or something and don't leave till about four. Yeah. And just go around the record shops and then 
go around the record shops again. Yeah. And look at the thing. You're making evaluations in your head of what you might buy or what you think you might be able to buy. It, it was anything, you know, related to touch and go or like Discord, SST or alternative tentacles was always a, that, those were the things. Right. And one shop RPMOs used to get the promos in and they, they, don't, they would always just sell the promo cassettes for like two quid. That's so awesome. I got all the like Southern promo tapes would come through. So you get them probably before the album was released. And so we're talking about full albums here. We're not talking yeah. about like two or three tracks or X. No, you get X, the full X, album. Sometimes tracks. you get the full sleeve. Yeah. You get a full color sleeve. That's awesome. Like you just, you just get the tape, but we're just promo written on it. And then other times would be, you know, just a white thing. I mean, that this <laughs> we used to steal them back in there. Uh, when we used to go down the metro centre, we just steal them. Our price used to put the they had like a tape bin at the front of the shop, but they would sell the tape that you could like just you know steal like the without any cover or anything. Yeah, you just nick that and then you just like go in that shop or another shop and steal the cassette cover. <laughs> so you'd have like the full thing, but you'd you'd resourced it from two different places. Yeah, you could do that, or when <laughs> or or you could just. <laughs> Whatever supermarket was there, they had like I remember like stealing the Megadeth tape from there, uh, <laughs> shit it, like that. I mean, you don't want to pay for a Megadeth tape, so it makes sense that you would steal. You don't want to pay for it, no. Just kind of like tie it in with what you look at what you what you get stealing that. And did anyone ever get nicked for doing that? Did anyone ever get uh, that your friend group? Did anyone ever get? Oh yes, yeah, so it got nicked for uh, stealing CDs from. Like, <laughs> HMV or something. The thing is, he, he stole like about fucking 10 CDs yeah. at a time though. That rings a bell. And he did it for a couple of weeks and they just like, went in, I remember going in on a Saturday and he, he'd done it. And uh, it was just like that, the hand, I don't know, it was just like immediately, it was just like a bad vibe. You shouldn't do this. Yeah. And uh, he did it and he just got caught and straight away there was a guy like, bang, hand on the shoulder, you know. Busting him. Busted, Yeah. But like he'd stolen loads, of, he'd stolen loads. Yeah. So if okay. we move on from like the record collecting sort of stuff and go back to the bands that we were talking about before, um, mm-hmm. sort of early bands that you were in beyond like the high school bands and what have you, like them. How did you get into? Well, how did you get into hardcore? I guess and and punk, whatever you want to call it, metal, you know. But you well, know. well, it it was a kind of broad base of things that I was listening to the first half of the 90s. I remember getting, not really pop punk, just I suppose like the British, more independent labels I was aware of. You know, there was like Rugger Bugger, uh, who who put out like, you know, that this compilation, there was uh, the best punk rock in England, son, which was just like a load of really good. It was like 20 odd bands and it had all the kind of, like uh, Sean Forbes did like the write-ups of the bands and stuff and then he put an address. So I remember writing to a few bands, you know, and just thinking, oh, fuck, you can write to bands and labels and get records that way. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think because I had ordered some stuff before from Alternative Tentacles and Southern. Because they both uh, had offices in London, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. And... Obviously, that like cuts out import because when he used to see in record shops all the time, it'd have like an import sticker on. Yeah, and you know this stuff was just it was imported, but it, it was just the the distribution was better, so it was easier to get a hold of really when it, if he knew how. Getting into the kind of like 
into the the contemporary hardcore because I thought it it was I don't know I kind of thought it was dead really you know I thought it died in the eighties or whatever you know yeah and I think it was skating in Wickham or something at the time it's like mid nineties and I saw uh, Pete Falkus and I hadn't seen him in a few years and he had like he had a totally different kind of look he had like I'm sure he had like bleach blonde hair and uh, <laughs> backpack. Uh, Baggy jeans, chain wallet, and all that sort of thing, and, we, and it was all right. He was like, "All right, dude, you need to uh, get into it, man. Hardcore, and that. It's, it's great." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I don't know." And then he just gave us a copy of Heart Attack magazine or Heart Attack scene, which was all the kind of bands of that time, like '95, right, '96, and uh, that was just more like a, a revelation. Just seeing all this stuff, it was like, "Fuck." Hardcore still exists, you know, and there's this or this newer kind of thing exists, and there's people who are, I don't know, it's more like the kids, you know, yeah, doing things. Uh, and I was a kid, and I was just like, I was on board. And then I try to think with the, uh, I think it was just writing to, the, writing to any UK address that was in Heart Attack, and On with Anger was one, and. They did the mail out, which was like, I think fought, I think it was like quarterly. They did a mail out of everyone's like distro lists. Right. Uh, stuff that people were selling, whatever it was. There was, you know, every, everyone was in there and they just like copy a, a flyer. The flyers put all the records out for sale and then put it in this thing that got sent out every, uh, well, like four times a year. And just, kind of ordering stuff and realizing that like things were, were loads cheaper even with the postage you know it was like five pounds for an album or like six pounds for cd or something and mm. these things and around about that time i said and, and correct us if i'm wrong but mid 90s on with anger had been around a few years by then hadn't it so it would have had a pretty reasonable roster of bands on or yeah well look, there was already a, there was a compilation there was a uh, uh consolidation compilation that had like yeah the seven the, inch yeah it had yeah, all the kind of yeah i know exactly it had all the, the the bands of the that that one in 12 the bradford kind of all the bands that were playing there and they had their own they, they had a compilation as well didn't i can't remember what it's called now 12 inch oh the one in 12 yeah on with anger put out the means to an end that's it yeah means to an end yeah that that's was, I've just got that like, as well. that's a good one that's just like perfect of all the bands that yeah. were were happening at the, that time, 96, probably you would have been, or 90, 96, 97, I think. Because like, around that time in the UK, you've you've got a lot of hardcore bands, but you're starting to get like bands like Bob Tilton and Baby Harp Seal and stuff like that, aren't you? It's a, you know, a little bit sort of different to the, the, the yeah, standard. Yeah, well, they, that, that was things I got around. I mean, Bob Tilton was probably it, the first, it was Bugger Bugger, if, uh, Sean who had got, the Bob Tilton, the second seven inch from, mm-hmm. I remember waiting for it to come out. I remember like, this was a time when you'd like tape your coins to a bit of cardboard and put it in a, a letter, you know, it was like, or you'd send a check for like two quid or something, you know, like these ridiculous amounts of money that are just uh, now, but yeah. back then it was like, oh yeah, checks and money orders and coins or whatever, yeah. where if they're hidden and all that. So it was that and the Baby Harp Seal uh, record, I think, was when that came out because I remember I think it was seeing them live because I remember like Ian Subjugation came in with all these like 
boxes of records to some gig and it was like the Baby Harp Seal mm-hmm. album and that had just come out I think yeah Subjugation's and, uh, a big one around that time yeah that was a label consistent be- releases well that was the label it became aware of because of the Bob Tilton 7 inch and then seeing that they were doing the more the that end of things like the, the emo yeah it, well it wasn't yeah, it was uh, pretty much wasn't it well it was but it wasn't like in indie rock emo it was uh, the aggressive side hard, of it hardcore yeah. yeah yeah well I don't know well, still sort of hard, hardcore. I think other yeah. people were like... I mean, those early Bob Tilton 7 Inches certainly are. I mean, oh, changed with def- the LPs, but the 7 Inches definitely are. The 7 Inches are great. Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of fits into emo. I mean, it's yeah. all, all looking back at it now. But at the time, I mean, it was like a new thing. Because even Heart Attack was, wasn't was even really using... I, I, you'd see emo, but it would mean something totally different to whatever it means now. I mean, it meant more of a DC thing, Washington, DC. Yeah. You know, like Rites of Spring. Yeah, the original sort of use of the term. Yeah, it was like Revolution Summer Bands. So we've talked about kind of how you got into that music, you know, through friends and stuff like that. But then you're talking about these UK labels and talking about these bands and stuff. So... What are the what what are those early gigs and and who were you going with and how did you know or how did how did you find out about them and that kind of thing? Uh, Flyers was it or was it, was it like there wouldn't have been I suppose there would have been national tours advertised in the zine so they might have had Newcastle dates on but kind of well, it. Um, it was how we rock zine which was a which was like the same thing as the arm with anger mail out that was the kind of magazine that had ever all, all the kind of news of what labels and bands were doing i'm trying to think where the the, the stuff the flyers came from or how they happened uh the first gig was like early uh it was like maybe mid 96 something like that it was yeah it was like that was hard to swallow and uh amazing that was at the cumberland arms and that was when that area, it was just like, it was really sketchy because we were, uh, well, it was me and like Sid who were kind of into it, you know, and, and I don't know, checking out what was happening live or what a, what a live band was like. And then we went to the, the Cumberland Arms and it was just, you know, it was just totally different. We were young and everyone else seemed like really old. Yeah. I remember like Linz was outside playing football or like kicking a ball around. And then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's like the hardcore gig. Oh, these are the bands that's playing. And uh, this band's dropped out or something. So there's this band's on. And it was just, well, it was a total eye opener because that, that area as well where the Cumberland Arms was, was like, uh, you know, it's the Ooseburn. It wasn't the Ooseburn then. It was just like some shit end of like the biker wall where there was just a kind of dead end street. Yeah. It was pretty sketchy around the time. Like, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, and even the getting... pub was a bit rough, really. I mean, it's oh, totally it different now. The whole area is completely different now. But it was just like really didn't look like it had been cleaned and all that. It just looked grimy. We were just blown away that the toilet was just like a kind of bit of cement that you pissed into, basically. It was just like <laughs> there wasn't a toilet, really. It was just like. <laughs> I don't even think I dared go to the toilet when I was there. Oh, well, you wouldn't, yeah. So there's this this whole new world of of stuff, and then this racket and people like you know this hardcore music, and then that was wild. And then you go up that, and then pick up some flyers, and then people like, oh, you should come to this next gig. And then the next one was like Drop Dead, I think. Yeah. And that was the Broken Door, which is another like sketchy sort of bar. I never went and there, unfortunately. Area. Well, it only like it, it wasn't around for. I mean, when, when I was around, it was like kind of closed. 
I guess I think they started the St. James Boulevard thing it is now. Oh, like a renovation was, sort of thing. Yeah, they like totally just demolished the kind of road system. Well, they were rebuilding the Newcastle's road system, I guess, in that yeah. end of the city. And it, uh, that was one of the places that went in 98, probably 1998. Will that not coincide with when Newcastle United extended the ground as well? So that kind oh, of, I'd that, imagine I think, so, yeah. So that yeah. probably makes have, sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. The whole thing would have tied in, yeah. Because it was so. just down the road from, it was literally just down the road from Newcastle United, like St. James's Park. So yeah, I think like, that was about the around about the same time. Yeah, because I was trying to figure that out because I was thinking, why didn't this, why wasn't there more stuff on there longer? But, you know, it, it, it it's like Newcastle's always been. There's always been a venue and then it'll happen for about two, three years, then just not happen. Yeah. And then it might happen again in some years. Mm-hmm. Like five years later, it might happen for a year. Or there's always like, venue switching probably like a lot of places there's no there was nowhere like a, a stable sort of no there wasn't was there space where people could uh put gigs on because they'd always like people got funny about it i think or some people didn't just couldn't be asked with you know when they started like regenerating the, the pubs they didn't want like certain bands on yeah 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 that happened in a few places didn't it yeah so the, the broken door was a really small space it was kind of almost like you if I think of it now, it wasn't that much bigger than my living room, really. All <laughs> right, okay. You know, it's not not very big at all. The, the space it was just kind of a little drum riser, like really small room. So it was really, uh, you know, you were kind of up close to to the bands, and it was like Los yeah. Cruz, seeing Los Cruz at like you know a foot away or something, two feet away. It was just like fuck, incredible. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. Couldn't believe it, you know, the first time seeing them. I was just like, well, I have to do a band now. <laughs> I didn't know how to know anything about it, really, or how to play that kind of thing or, or anything, really. Well, you didn't do that kind of stuff immediately, did you? With the, with those first few bands that you did, it was a little bit more like, I mean, dare I say, melodic punk sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, there was, there, was, there was some melodic hardcore thing. We just yeah. kind of like play, like the people, whoever it was, we just like knew a dark, nasty That's kind of what I was thinking, some, yeah. Something, yeah, yeah we'd like, play a diagnostic cover or like a you know like a local band cover of a local band stuff or something you know just fuck around yeah that was at the old sound room which was route 26 it, it was called it was in a community center like in well, deckham sheriff hill right uh and the, the all the college the college campus had kind of shifted but there was this one building left that was the community center that they, they had this studio space in it yeah and that was the old sound room so we'd like practice there, and you kind of get away with whatever. Really, they weren't they weren't bothered. So that's a little way outside of Newcastle City Centre, isn't it? But not. It's, it wasn't far for us. We yeah. It wasn't that far for us. It was just like up the kind of other side of the valley or whatever it would have been. Really. Yeah. It's not a valley, isn't a fucking meadow or not? Is a housing estate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Horrible housing estates with like it was a kind of. It was not this kind of area you'd really want to be in or be around, but like. But you, but that's that was that. I mean, talking about the Cumberland Arms and the Usburn around the time, that was, and it still is to a degree. It. Like if you're talking about a band rehearsal space, or if you're talking about a, a venue or something oh, like it, that, the typically it wasn't are near in the shit areas, aren't they? It wasn't near anywhere on the way to anything. It was just in the, nah. like, the shitty end of wherever it was that no one wanted to go to. That's where there would be a, some lone pub or like practice area it's like practice space or whatever so it's like breweries craft beer breweries now have taken the place of 
rehearsal rooms and studios, haven't they? Like taking those spaces on industrial parks where previously you would have you would have had like rehearsal rooms and all that kind of thing. It's the same sort of thing now, like. Yeah, but I, you just you just can't make. You probably just couldn't make any money. The idea of gentrifying that area of the city just didn't seem like it was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, it just it was Cumberland Arms is right next to Biker Wall. Yeah, so it was like a, just a deprived area. Uh, it was just sketchy, but it's it's not that now. Well, to the, to the early bands, it was the first sort of semi serious one. It was like. It kind of didn't really have a name, but it was on a it was on a flyer. Oh, it was it it was Chinese Burn. Yeah, and then it was like Rob called it Darth Fonzarelli. <laughs> I don't know why. Why? Yeah, uh, I absolutely love that. He probably saw Charles Bronson being abandoned. Thought that was a. Because <laughs> some people were people were naming the, the bands yeah. like things like that. Yeah, and the gig we played. I don't know. They, it, it was really good as well because that was 97 and it was seeing uh, Palatka and Inhumanity were the bands that we were supporting Was that, and did you were, only do the one gig? Maybe we did two or three, I don't know I can't remember Yeah, and these were, it was like fuck, someone's putting us on with these Americans you know, and we're like supporting an American band and we're like, we'll do a Void cover and like the Americans weren't to it and we're just like yeah, yeah we'll, we'll just go full ball and I don't know go for it and that, that it was the the gravity record stuff as well at the time was really it's like the angel hair seven inch and the born against you away and right. the mohinder seven inch I think everyone had those who, who was into doing something like that and then these bands and we were just like yeah we'll just you know go for it yeah so we did that and uh, and when you're talking about like a physicality as well, aren't you? Just it was just intense. People screaming and that, and yeah, and bashing things as fast as possible, yeah, and playing yeah. as fast as possible, and the kind of chaos of it was like what you know, it's what appeals to you when you're like sixteen or seventeen or something. 